Hey everyone, welcome to Infuse Church Online. My name is Taylor and we're continuing our series In the Meantime, which is a very heavy series because we're talking about some very emotional topics. And we're going to continue that today, talking about loss. Because with loss comes a sense of permanency, which is difficult to get through. And it's in those moments when we often turn to God, Christian or not, and ask, where is he and does he care? So stick around to learn more. Um, we're in part two of uh, a series called In the Meantime, uh, and uh, I, it is a very heavy series, a uh, very emotional series uh, because of the topics that we're covering in it and what we're talking about, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, last week, I was really appreciative, got a lot of positive feedback from um, you wonderful people in the room, as well as those um, wonderful people watching or listening online. And so uh, based on that feedback, I thought we would just kind of keep the, keep the pressure on the gas and dive into um, uh, some stuff that's even a little bit heavier today. And so I want to just disclaim that so you know up front that today may get a little bit emotional and, and bring some things up uh, for you. And last week I said uh, a couple disclaimers just in general as we get started into this topic, and I'll probably repeat myself the rest of the series just to be safe. Uh, but the size of this series is only four Sundays. But the topic that we're trying to cover, these meantime moments of our lives, is much bigger than the time that we have in four Sundays. And so uh, I realize that there may be questions left unanswered for you, um, doubts maybe only stirred up a little bit more that you would like to talk about. Um, and my hope is that before you walk, essentially before you stop coming to Infuse or stop attending for the rest of this series, that at least we could talk. Before you walk, let's talk. So that at the very least, and not really necessarily wanting to get together so that I can convince you otherwise or convince you to stay, but that at least we could talk through it, hopefully understand each other um, at, at better, and then maybe grow from that, uh, the experience. Uh, that's something that's really important and, and something we value here as growth and, and improvement. Also, the second thing is that if um, something in this series stirs something up for you, maybe it was something you knew was there but kind of pushed down or you didn't know was there and it came up and it's like, wow, I really need to process through this, um, I would in really encourage you to process it through with a professional. And so we have a recommendation uh, list in the Iowa City area of counselors. If that is something that you need, um, I would love, love, love to send that to you. This is a judgment-free zone. I said that before and I really mean that because I, I wish there wasn't quite the stigma around counseling that there is because it can be really helpful and transformational for people, and so we have a, at least a recommendation list for that. Now, we're beginning, um, or in part two of the series, I just want to repeat what we learned last week, and that is what a meantime moment is, and a meantime moment is this, and, and I kind of made this graph um, or this diagram for you. Meantime moments are in the middle between uh, when we look to the future, we think that it could be better, or when we look at the past, we think it could be better. Essentially, that where we are in meantime moments is not the ideal. In fact, the meantime moments tend to be some of the worst seasons, times, situations in our lives, where we wish we could have a rewind button like on a remote and go back, or that we could maybe push forward to hopefully a better future than where we are right now. And so, essentially, meantime moments are the moments we wish we could just get out of, but we can't because that's not how life works. And so, instead, I've been hoping to give, me, give you tools last week, this week, and the next couple weeks, give you tools to help process through and have a healthy perspective of these meantime moments of life, the reality of life. Now, today, um, we're going to talk specifically about meantime moments that involve loss. 
Okay? Now, it is not uh, the, essentially the main point or the hopeful um, th- uh, thing that we're going to talk about of today's message. I hope is not exclusive to just loss. It can be used in a lot of meantime situations. However, the story today is about loss. And loss is a very painful experience that we all have to go through at one point or another. And I think it's exceptionally painful because loss has permanency, permanency to it. It's permanent. It's not going to change. Now, you may try to look for the thing that you lost. You may have a couple of opportunities to maybe change the outcome or make it a little different, but overall, what is lost is going to be gone. And sooner or later, you are going to have to come to accept the fact that when something is lost, it is not going to be found. The definition of loss means that there is no return, that there is no repair. It's final. It's the final situation. There's this sense of finality to it, um, which is not something I think we're used to, especially these days, and I think especially for um, uh, those of you who are closer generationally um, to me. When we've grown up in a world uh, where we are used to on-demand everything, where we're used to two-day shipping, so if it breaks, we can fix it at the very, um, at the very least in two days because we can get a replacement, or we could return it, or whether it be on our phones or our remote or in our car, everything is on demand there when we need it. And so that's why loss, when it happens to us, can sometimes um, catch us off guard, especially loss um, like death. Death is is probably one of the most profound uh, moments of loss for all of us. And, and the reason death is so challenging for us is because in the middle of our lives, as it's moving, 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 especially as we get busier and busier and busier, this thing happens, this experience happens, a loved one is gone, and there is nothing you can do about it. In a world where we're used to control, there's nothing you can do about it. It isn't going to change. In a world in which you and I are used to everyday new medical breakthroughs, new technologies coming out, total loss is very, very rare. You may totally lose your vehicle, but they will replace it, depending on your insurance provider, like for free, brand new. I mean, they run specials on it. And so I think when death happens, it's more painful than some other losses that we could experience in our life. And it feels unfair, and we feel frustrated by it. Now, there's not just death. There's other types of losses. Um, uh, one that, comes, that came to my mind, because I've experienced it a lot in, in my life, especially in, in the ministry that Stephanie and I have been doing, is a loss of opportunity. That it's the kind of moments where you may have done everything right, where you have made, had the right heart, you said the right things, you did the right things, yet the opportunity was taken from you never to come back again. And the hope for something better, the hope for that opportunity is off the table. And it's painful, and it's frustrating, and it certainly feels unfair. There's the loss of ability, um, especially if you have ever had an ability to do something, and then you lost it, it is exceptionally painful because you realize the full implications of what you've lost rather than being born or perhaps never experiencing that ability to begin with. You don't value it quite as much. And now not having that ability makes life difficult. And every day almost is a reminder of the ability that you have lost. Faith is something that you can lose. 
Maybe for some of you, you uh, read a, uh, a verse growing up or in your teenage college years, or you read a book or, or you saw something on Facebook or your college professor said some things and just took the legs right out from under your faith. And you mourned the loss of your faith. For me, when I became an agnostic or, or was comfortable declaring myself as an agnostic um, through my faith journey, um, it was a loss. And I was angry. I was frustrated. Because I felt that I had been living for so many years of my life a faith that was not my own, more a reflection of my parents or my church than it was me. And I didn't feel like I deserved to experience that loss. Or maybe it's a loss of a relationship that no matter how many should have, could haves that you roll through in your mind, it's a done deal. And no other time in your life is that relationship going to be possible. It's over. It's over. And it's not easy to process through any of these, lo these losses. Even, even as a Christian, or maybe you're not a Christian, and even if you're not a Christian, I think in these midst of these losses, in the midst of these meantime moments, you look to God and you're like, listen, if you're there, could you step in? Or why don't you step in? Couldn't you have? And so we look at God and we start to insinuate, we start to tell ourselves lies about God based on the loss in our lives. Or as we talked about last week, there comes a point where you, maybe you look at God and God to you becomes an angry God, punishing you for your sins depending on uh, the tradition you grew up in. Um, maybe God is apathetic, he just doesn't care. Or maybe God is just simply absent or just doesn't exist because of the loss that you've experienced in your life. So today, we're going to look at a story of loss. Specifically, we're going to look at the um, book of John, the Gospel of John, John's account of Jesus' ministry, um, and, and we're going to be in chapter 11. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, you've got the Bible app and you like to follow along, or of course we'll have it up on the screen as we always do. But it is a story of painful, painful loss, specifically of death. And then in the midst of that, what we can learn about God by watching Jesus. Because as Christians, and John taught us this, in fact, he said this right at the, the start of his gospel, he said that Jesus is God in a body. Jesus is God in a body. So if you look at Jesus and you want to understand the heart of God, he is the perfect person to look at. Because through what Jesus did, who Jesus was, and why he did it, we can understand a little bit more about God. And that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes, is look through this story and understand what Jesus did in the midst of this meantime set of circumstances. So the story begins in John chapter 11. might be familiar for you, especially if you grew up in church. Um, it begins like this. Now, a man named Lazarus, and so right there, if you remember that from Sunday school, Lazarus, very famous, well-known um, character in, in the New Testament. Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. You may have heard of them as well. They've, they show up a number of times throughout um, the ministry of Jesus. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair, which is another very, very famous uh, Bible story. So the sisters sent word to Jesus because they realized things are not going well. They send a message to Jesus, to, uh, and so the messenger comes to Jesus and says, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
And this is a big deal. Lord, the one you love is sick. Doesn't even have to say the name. The only reason we know the name is because John tells us earlier. The messenger comes to Jesus and says, Lord, the one you love. And apparently Jesus just knows who that is. I mean, that's a significant relationship that Jesus has with Lazarus. So what about you, though? I mean, if somebody came to you and said your name and then told you that the one you love is sick, who would you think of? Maybe your kids or your spouse, especially because it says the one you love, not the ones who love you back. I'll let that process for a second. Lord, the one you love is sick. And so Jesus immediately understands the implications of what's happening here because they are profound implications to sickness in those days. And Jesus addresses that that issue right off the bat. He says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death, which is such a relief. I mean, you don't even have to believe in Jesus, but just hypothetical this for a second. If you were able to go to God and say, hey, God, someone that I love is sick, and God's like, that's not going to end in death, eh, that's a relief. But it was especially relief then because in those days, sickness and death we're a lot closer together than they are now. In fact, every time anyone would be sick, in those days, you probably had to prepare yourself that death could follow. Whereas today, you just can't say, oh, somebody's sick, and assume that there's going to be death at the end. You have to say something like, they're really sick, or it's not going well. Because blessed are we with technology that We've elongated life. We've overcome so many sicknesses that they, they didn't. The common cold could lead to death. And so in this case, this was a profound moment for Lazarus, his family, and for Jesus and his disciples. But Jesus sets the expectation that death is not going to be the end to this story. So when he heard this, Jesus said, death is not going to be the end. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Let me explain. God is going to take this situation and glorify Jesus through it. So at the end of the day, everyone is going to look at Jesus at the end of how this story ends and look at Jesus and say, wow, he is even greater than I thought he was before. To which all of the Christians in the room right now, you're all thinking to yourself, yeah, you know, we nod along. We're like, yeah, because that's what God does, right? I mean, that's our version of God, that God's going to go in even in the most challenging circumstances, even in the pain, and he's just going to make it better. Because that's a really normal, that's a very normal Sunday school understanding of God. Now, if you're not Christian, though, because as I think back to my life and my story, I would look at this and I'd be a little upset. I'd have an issue because I'd be like, what kind of selfish God would take advantage of Lazarus, his pain, and his family's pain and suffering to just glorify his son? It's not a very nice God. And if that's where you are, you really need to be here next week, not only for the message, but to hear the story um, that uh, I think if everything works out well, um, somebody from Infuse is going to share their story, and, and it, I've already read through it, and it's really powerful, so I hope you're here to hear that next week. Um, and I'm going to address that concern, if you have that, a little bit today, but, but then more so next week. So the story continues. Jesus has set the expectations so high that there's not going to be death. He's going to be glorified. Everything's going to work out a okay but it's not over yet. 
In fact, the bar is just going to get a little higher because John tells us that Jesus loved Martha and he loved her sister Mary and he loved Lazarus. Not only was it all going to be okay, but Jesus loved all of them. They were like family. So, what does Jesus do when he hears the ones he loves are in pain and, and there might be death at the end of this? John tells us in, in the next verse. It says, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he goes. He stays. Essentially, Jesus seals the fate of Lazarus because he did nothing. He did nothing. I mean, think about that for a second. Our versions of God so often are that God always removes suffering. That God is always going to take away the weeping and make it right. That God's going to keep, keep you from stumbling. Keep you from hurt. I mean, come on, Jesus. You loved the guy. Jesus, you love all the little children. Jesus, what happened to good, good father? It's who you are. It's who you are, as the song goes. But Jesus, this is not that. Jesus, this is not that. But think about this for a second, Christians especially. What happened to God's Son? What happened to Jesus at the end? He was humiliated. He was spit on. He was beaten, whipped, crown of thorns, and crucified in the most painful, torturous way known to the Roman world at the time. And even Jesus sat hours beforehand praying that God would take that burden from him. And God didn't. Why? And this is where things get complicated. This is where things get uncomfortable and difficult for our hearts and our minds, I think, sometimes to process. Why did God, whom we're used to, and, and our image of God is always this good shepherd who's going to be helping us through the valley and the sickness and, and death and all that stuff, and then here comes God who sent his son to suffer so greatly. Why? Because God so loved the world. And, and then it makes us think, in our minds, can, can suffering and love coexist? Can love and loss be possible in the same situation with the same people? Maybe not in your Sunday school and my Sunday school understanding of God, our version of God, in fact, maybe this is the reason why you stepped away from faith or you have doubted your faith or questioned your faith because God was supposed to come through and God didn't. And God promised. But this story of Lazarus introduces us to the idea that we have to wrestle with. I'm not saying you have to accept it because I understand how big of a leap this is. But at least that you would wrestle with the idea 
that love and loss are possible, coming from the same person in the same story. And that requires us to do something that we're not generally comfortable with. It requires us to change our perspective a little bit. To change our perspective to include that God sees a bigger picture. God, in fact, sees the big picture. And that is really hard because when it looks, the situation looks from our perspective painful, God may see something else, a little bit bigger, a little bit more profound. And I want to give you an example. Um, I think this is about as close of a perfect example as I could think of. Um, and it involves Elia. And if you don't know who Elia is, um, she's our uh, 13-month-old, okay? And uh, uh, one, um, a couple times during the week, um, we have to leave Elia with a babysitter. And Elia does not like to be left with a babysitter. In fact, she cries. Big old alligator tears. And she reaches out for you. And she looks at you in a way that if she could talk, you'd say, what's bothering you so much? I am going to lose my dad. I'm about to experience loss. Does Elia, in that moment, come on, think about this. Does Elia, in that moment, when she knows I'm about to leave, does she feel cared for? No. Does she feel loved? No. But do I care for her? 100%. I love her so much. I love her so much. And is my heart breaking by the fact that I am leaving her? You bet. It breaks. Would you ever look at me leaving to go to work and say, well, Taylor, you're just a bad father? Some of you laughed. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, you experience it. Yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't look at a parent and say, well, you're going to work. You're just a terrible, terrible per per parent. Thank you for paying the bills, but that's just awful of you. Actually, Stephanie pays the bills, but I just go do my hobby of ministry, I guess. Um, but you wouldn't say I'm a bad father for going to work. I mean, think about this. I am leaving to go right on Friday. I left. She cried. I'm, go I'm leaving to go write this message. A message that I hope will make a difference for you. I hope a message that every single week will improve your life, better your relationships, and hopefully change your heart. And what, what we think should be so black and white isn't. It isn't so clear. It's a little gray. It's a little muddy. Is it the ideal that I leave her? No, that's not the ideal, but it is the real. It is the reality of life. And if you were the one holding Elia as she is screaming, what would you say to her? You'd comfort her, right? You'd say, dad is coming back. Dad loves you. We're going to have a lot of fun today. You don't need to suffer. He's out there. He's helping other people. He's caring for other people. He's doing something that you don't understand yet. Does it take the suffering away for Elia? Not a bit. But it's true. And it's painful. And therein lies the tension. 
in these situations, in these meantime set of circumstances, when we look at our Heavenly Father and we say, God, where are you? And we think it's black and white, but it isn't. And I think God works so often in the exact same way. That God can always, always, always be working for your good while not taking away your loss. That we could live in a world where God is saddened by your suffering and your loss. Saddened by the fact that it is not going away but still love you all the more. A simple example of this, we don't talk about it often because I just think there's a lot you can change in your life right now. You don't have to necessarily think for the long term or for eternity, but heaven. I mean, if you think about the idea of heaven, is death so bad? If eternal happiness and joy and paradise, the the no more weeping and crying is possible for people? I mean, it's bad for us, but is it really that bad? I mean, this is a hard concept. And this, let's be honest, this was a hard concept for Martha and Mary to wrap their hearts around in this story that God could be working for their good even though he was not taking away their loss. In fact, as John documents, as we skip a couple verses ahead, John documents how this has created tension in the relationship. Upon his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Jesus is like, way late. Way late. Story continues. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, so not that far, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So they are all out in community mourning together. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, She went out to meet him, but Mary, Mary stayed at home. Mary stayed at home, which I think is us. Too often, Mary is us, upset, in pain, with our loss and our hurt, and we'd rather just stay home because we're feeling so vulnerable emotionally in those seasons of life, that the last thing we want to do is go out. We would much rather stay home with some form of sugar, ice cream, candy, you name it, and Netflix. Maybe even some prayers, not sure, but certainly Netflix. I mean, this is like for Mary, this is like um, Jesus coming to town, okay? Jesus showing up four days late is like, um, is like uh, your, your Christian friend, coming to your house while you're going through some pain or calling you up, or at worse, your pastor. They call you up and, and they let you know and they're like, you know, I, I know you're suffering, but, but God cares. And you're like, I don't feel cared for. And they're like, God's got a plan. And you're like, well, it is a sucky plan. And then they say, well, you should come back to church. And you're like, seriously? I am in suffering, and the last thing I want to do is go to church where they force me for three minutes halfway through to meet other people and talk about what I tried out new this week because I didn't try out anything new because I hurt. And I understand that. And so does God. 
In fact, sometimes our attempts to help can make people want to just stay home all the more. We've all been like Mary. But eventually, Mary makes her way out of the house. For whatever reason, John doesn't really say, but Mary makes her way out of the house to where Jesus was, saw him, and she fell on her feet and said, Lord. And if you were here last week when we talked about stumbling, this is the moment for Mary, where Mary has every reason in the world to stumble in her faith and trust in God. But look at how she addresses Jesus. Lord. She is heartbroken. She is frustrated. She is confused why Jesus took so long and Jesus didn't fix the problem. Especially when the messenger said it wasn't going to end in death. She's incredulous. Yet she still does not stumble. Lord she says. And then she says this familiar feeling statement that's boiling up inside of us in these meantime moments. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, if you had done something, if you had cared enough, if you really existed, if you really were the Son of God, are the Son of God, you wouldn't have died, and I wouldn't be suffering. Jesus, you healed strangers. Jesus, you let people touch your cloak and you healed them. Complete strangers. And yet, for the ones that you loved, the ones who loved you back, who followed you, you weren't there for. You weren't there for. So when Jesus, when Jesus saw her weeping, when Jesus saw her weeping, and if this has ever been you, and, and you can picture this, and you're, you're like at the feet of Jesus, on your knees at home, Christian or not, begging, God, why wouldn't you, couldn't you, didn't you fix it? That, that moment, Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit as if his whole being was moved and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied. As Christians, as Christians, we believe to watch Jesus is to see the heart of God. And in so many other religions, God is this immovable, unshakable, distant being. God sets the rules, lets you all figure it out, and best of luck, survive if you can, make it to the, the paradise or heaven if you can, good luck. But our God is so moved, not because of the death, because that, that wasn't an issue. Jesus already said, it isn't going to end in death. Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he is so moved by the weeping and the pain and the suffering of his people. He is so troubled, his entire being. As you are standing there grieving before God, God is standing there grieving with you. And in the shortest verse in the Bible, as some of you know, Jesus wept. Looking at the tomb, surrounded by these weeping, mourning, wailing people, Jesus wept. 
Jesus is sad for the suffering of the ones he loves and what they're experiencing. What does that tell us about God? It tells us that even when it feels like, even when it feels like God is not there, God does care. Even when it feels like God is not there, God does care. And perhaps this, these last two lines is something that you just need to put, file away in the back of your memory, because maybe right now you're not in a meantime season of life, you're expecting a meantime season of life, or there, I can almost guarantee you, will be a meantime season of life, and that you would not lose sight of the fact that even though God is not there, it doesn't feel like God is not there, God does care. Because God does not promise a suffering-free life. Eventually, yes, the promise is that there will not be any more suffering, but now it's possible. Maybe Christians have promised you that once you start following Jesus, it all works out in the end. But nowhere in the New Testament is that said. No Christian would ever have told you when this church first began that following Jesus was pain-free. So if you walked away from God, if, if the divide between you and God is suffering in your life or suffering in the lives of others, I just want to propose to you that perhaps you have walked away unnecessarily. Because that's not his promise. Though it is difficult to process why God is doing this, what I can promise you is God does care. God does care that in the meantime, in your life, and my life, in the meantime moments of, of life, God knows your name. Jesus knew Lazarus's name. And that you can bring your pain and your hurt and your affliction and your abilities that was lost, your opportunities that were lost, your relationships that were lost, you can bring it to the feet of Jesus just like Mary and just lay it all out, anger, frustration, unfairness, all of it. And he will mourn with you. He will mourn with you, and, and maybe that is your next step. But you just gotta let it out and be honest with the hurt that you have inside, the, the hurt that you have tucked so far away that you don't have to touch it or be reminded of it every single day, but it is there and it is eating at your well-being, at your heart. It may be difficult to understand in the meantime moments of life. But God does care. And here's the other thing that I hope that you'll keep in mind. Is you want to know the event, essentially the domino that fell, that created the chain reaction that brought Jesus to the cross, the crucifixion, the moment in time when we as Christians believe showed God's love for the world, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. God's love the most, the, the event that kicked it all off, it was the death and resurrection of Lazarus. Literally a few verses later, same chapter, just a few verses later, it says this, so from that day on, they, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people who would eventually get Jesus executed, plotted to take his life. So if there is no story of Lazarus, even though it is hard to process, even though you sit there and you empathize with Mary so much, without Lazarus, 
story, no crucifixion, no cross, no Christianity. Even as Mary and Martha were in a meantime set of circumstances, Jesus was with them, weeping for them, and preparing to die for them. This is why God's perspective is sometimes so hard for us to see, that even when it feels like God is not there, God does care. And it is easier, I get it, it is easier to say that God doesn't care, that God is apathetic, that God is angry, that God just doesn't exist or is completely absent. That is the easy route to go with. I realize you may get to the end of today's message and you may like think to yourself, I think I understand, but I don't feel that much better. And I get it because you're used to me standing up here and giving you really practical, you know, tidbits of advice that you're going to take out into your week and it's going to make your life better and make you better at life. And it's just, it's easy that way. But unfortunately, when we start talking about topics like loss, when things are permanent, there are no solutions. It's permanent. We may be able to change one thing or two things, but we can't change the end result. We can change, though, our perspectives. We can change our heart. We can change the lens by which we see the world and see the relationships around us. We can see the world as God sees the world. A God who loves you and loves the world around you. I want to close by uh, sharing a perspective of someone's life who I think was pretty much just defined by loss. A life who was, whose life was defined by loss. Um, and, and this individual, um, you probably don't know her, I, I didn't know her either. Um, her name is Annie Johnson Flint, and this is a picture of her. She was born in 1866. Both parents um, died when she was very young, so she was put up for adoption, and then she was adopted only to then lose her, parent, her adoptive parents to, a, um, to, to illnesses unexpectedly. And so now her and her sister were completely alone on her own. And as you can see, life was not inherently easy for Annie. Because just as um, it was getting to the end of the life of her, her, of her um, adoptive parents, she was um, crippled with arthritis. So much so that she would never walk again, never run again, and just basic functions of life were pain as literally arthritis overtook her body and her hands were, were, every single day, were just stuck in this shape. She lost all mobility, she became incontinent and suffered from so many other illnesses because of her lack of mobility, and then, and then as she got to the end of her life, she actually started losing her sight as well. I mean, imagine that kind of a life. It is difficult to. But remember, for her, she had the abilities, and then she lost them. So she even knew what life could be like, but wasn't. And through her crippled fingers, she wrote poems, and she wrote hymns. 
And I want to read to you one of the hymns that she wrote in closing, because as most creative people know, you tend to speak about your own experiences through your creativity. And so she wrote this incredible, incredible hymn near the end of her life as things were getting at its worst through her crippled fingers. She wrote, um, she wrote this hymn. And um, I just, I, I don't know how best you listen to, to things, but maybe it would help if you just close your eyes so you could just process through um, the words uh, as I read them. The, the hymn is three verses long and it begins like this. He, God, giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth, sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. This is her experience. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, and when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth, he giveth, and he giveth again. If you would, uh, just bow your heads with me, close your eyes, and uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is um, sometimes the most painful experience to look back, to relive, or to go through loss. To go through really any meantime set of circumstances. And that pain sometimes is only compounded by the, th the fact that we feel like, God, that you could have done something and you didn't. And so my prayer this morning for all of us is that as we go through those meantime set of circumstances, we would remember the story of Lazarus, specifically Mary. And how even though it feels like, God, you are not there or that you do not care, you do care. You care so much you're moved to mourn with us, to grieve with us, to care about us. And that even though it's easy to try to make it black and white, it isn't always that way. Just as some of us have learned through the experiences of raising our own children, that you look at us and you call us your sons and daughters for a reason, because you love us. And you care about us, even in the meantime moments. Even when it is difficult to see the perspective and the picture that you see. My prayer, Lord, for us this morning is that you would help us. This community of people that we're a part of would help us to navigate through the meantime set of circumstances, to trust you more, to know you more, to not stumble even though it is stumble-worthy, 
to mourn, but also know that we're loved. And it is a difficult thing to accept. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's any less true. That's my prayer for us, Lord. Give us the strength, the knowledge, and the courage to trust in that love and to live through those meantime set of circumstances in that love. In your name I pray. Amen.